0: ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and co-parents of all ages this podcast is for you introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert Judith Weigel welcome back everyone grab some coffee danish a cat or a dog pencil and paper you're definitely going to want to curl up and take notes. Anybody who has spousal support and or child support as part of their divorce settlement, this is going to be a really important conversation we're going to have. I'm going to teach you how to negotiate for support. There is a strategy. And if you know the strategy, you'll come out much better approaching the mediation because all of this is generally done in a mediation, approaching the mediation in the mediation and after the divorce is final. So I want to tackle spousal support first, even though child support is considered more important than spousal support or alimony. In some States it's called alimony. Um, By the court system, it's much harder to deal with both for the spouses and the legal professionals who provide service. But spousal support is the hardest of all, and I'll tell you why. Spousal support hits at the heart of the relationship. Once the divorce is decided, either by both parents or one parent, The parent who's the spouse who's going to be the payor of spousal support alimony doesn't want to stay connected. That's the biggest reason. They don't want to stay connected. Spousal support connects you to the other spouse after the divorce is final, that becomes problematic. So I wanna go through a few different scenarios for you, but for every one of the legal professionals who will be part of your life, the attorneys, the mediators, definitely, divorce coaches, document preparation people like me, and therapists, we are all here to support you, to work with you on your settlement, or getting you to gain clarity about why you want what you want with your settlement. But there are a few things that have to be into place so that we can all do our jobs for you. So let me just briefly give you the history of spousal support. Spousal support in the late 1800s was devised. Uh, in a culture where women didn't work, unless you were Miss Kitty at, in Gunsmoke and uh, ran the saloon, women by and large didn't work. Or the other women who worked were women who ended up having to run the farm or run the family business because the men somehow weren't around. Uh, either it was a wife who inherited a business because the husband died, like the general store. I mean, this is the late 1800s now. So I'm speaking about the types of businesses that were around in the late 1800s. And we certainly didn't have DoorDash. No, (laughs) we had many, we had very basic businesses. So it was a culture where women pretty much got married, had children, and after 20 years or so of marriage, the children are grown. If the men took off with the secretary or somebody else in their business or somebody else in general, then the women were left high and dry. There were no employment opportunities. There was no education for women to fall back on in order to get a job. So this is why spousal support slash alimony was created. It was for the benefit of the women in that cultural construct where only men worked and to make sure women didn't become homeless uh, when their husbands asked for a divorce 20 years, 25 years into the marriage. Third. This is interesting to me. So I just explained how spousal support was created in a very different culture, in a very different time where women didn't work. Now let's fast forward to today where women do work. Women have their own businesses. And quite often, women make more than men. This is a very difficult issue though, for a woman in a marriage. That by the occupation that she has, not by, um, the, um, not by the shoot work ethic, but by the business that they're in. Some businesses just simply make more than other businesses. And what happens is spousal support is not gender driven. It's income driven, but gender plays a huge role When the woman makes more than the man, if you want to see a woman behave like a caged animal when she is told that she's the one that's going to be paying spousal support because she makes more than a man, oh my gosh, you're back at the circus. Most women, most, not all, but most women become enraged if they have to pay spousal support, yet not enraged when they uh, get to have promotions and make more money, not enraged when living in a family home where they rely on their husband. This is in a typical heterosexual marriage. Um, or in let, let's just move to any Uh, derivation of marriage, where one person makes more than the other and the other person is then set up to do more domestic things. Now we're getting a divorce. It is very difficult for a woman who makes more money than her husband or the other woman to accept that. With the advance in our society, in making more money, and I'm a woman, so of course I want to make more money. Of course I don't want to be held back because I'm a woman. But with that come the same responsibilities as men have. If men make more money than women, men are looked at uh, to pay spousal support. And that's still the norm. But I want to tell you, ladies, you must accept The responsibilities that go along with this wonderful opportunity you have generating more income. Do not fall down that rabbit's hole of not wanting gender (laughs) or wanting gender to play a part in how your husband responds to the question of spousal support. Women go for the throat. Women, I'll talk about this a little bit more when we're talking about negotiable points. Women go through the, uh, for the throat. Women get cultural. Women get gender driven. How dare you? How dare you ask me for spousal support? What kind of man are you? Well, you've sunk your ship. If this is the way you're going to behave, you've sunk your ship. You're not looking at the silver lining. This is great that you make more money. This is great. Learn how to negotiate this. And you will, as I talk, I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying uh, it's not going to work. Disparaging your husband is not going to work. This is about the law and the law has no gender, at least in this regard. Okay. Reasons for spousal support. So I gave you the biggest reason. And the biggest reason is why it was created. It was created based on need. It was created in the late 1800s when women did not have employment opportunities. So they needed help. They needed support. So need is the very first thing still in this day and age. It's about need. Do you need the money? The other reason for spousal support is to equalize the standard of living. Well, you have to understand what standard of living means. When there. are is one household. One income that's large enough to support the entire family in house, in, in one household is going to be very different than this one income supporting two households. Very, very different. So do not expect the exact same standard of living unless there is, unless we're dealing in seven figures or really high six figures it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And even if there were two incomes in one household, two incomes in two households looks different than two incomes in one household. So when we talk about equalizing the standard of living, we're talking about equalizing the standard of living going forward, that both people can live basically the same way that one person isn't living really well and the other person is barely making ends meet, can't have the normal things, can't get their hair done, can't get their nails done. Sorry, these are really important things for women because it makes us feel good, look good. And our upkeep, by the way, costs a whole lot more than men's upkeep. You want women to look good? we have to spend some money and it's not frivolous. But there are other things. Let's just say women do their own nails, color their own hair, and women do that just to get by. There are really cool women who don't want to ask for spousal support, who do want to live on their own. And sometimes they just need spousal support for a few years to get by. But this thing about equalizing the standard of living, it's going forward. It's not to let one person enjoy the standard of living they enjoyed when there was one household and the pay or not having any money. So you have to look at both sides of the equation and make sure that both people are well taken care of. Okay. Number three under reasons for spousal support, long term marriage with one spouse running the domestic side of the family. And in need of training or education to enter the job market, that's one big consideration for the need for spousal support. And there's also the emotional side of this situation um, about going into the job market. There's a lack of self-confidence. So if you're in a long-term marriage of, I don't know, 18 years plus, and it's a uh the old cultural norm of the man working and the woman staying at home, or in same-sex marriages, one person going out to work and the other person being the domestic the domestician, so to speak, there's a lack of self-confidence. Going into the job, even though be, running the household is enormous, enormous, especially if you are the person dealing with the budget and how all money is spent, it is a huge issue to go back into the workforce. First of all, the workforce is very different now than it was even five and 10 years ago. Machines are replacing human beings. That's another consideration. What if your education, I'm talking about the person who's going to be asking for support. What if your education doesn't mean anything now? Because it doesn't address the needs of society. Big issue here. So you have to understand pay or that just wrapping your spouse, wrapping their head around the issue of having to compete in the workforce, there's a lot they have to go through emotionally, mentally. Um, They have to have self-confidence, self-awareness, security. So you can't discount that. This is seriously an important issue that you must be sensitive to because look, if having them stay at home to grow the family, run the family, the family is a business just like our jobs are business. The family is a business. So if it was important enough for one person to run the family during the marriage, it's important enough to give that person credit once the, once the marriage is over. Um, if the divorce has caused one parent to have to move, so important. To be able to afford the cost of living on their own, that's another reason to ask for spousal support. Okay, I live in Los Angeles. It's bloody expensive. It's bloody expensive in all of California. And there are states that are just ridiculously expensive. If you live in one of these states, you must be sensitive to that. It's a big deal when. The family is now living in two households, and even with spousal support, and maybe even with child support, which we're going to get to next, not enough. Not enough. I mean, our rent in California is crazy. Our rent is more than most people's mortgages in most states. That's how stupid it's gotten in California. Anybody listening to this who can do anything about changing rent, do it. This is why we have such a huge homeless problem in California. And I am telling you, this is the secret fear of a lot of people, that they will uh, eventually be homeless because the rent situation is out of sight. Okay, next, how to prepare for the mediation for spousal support. Number one, get legal advice and learn the law. I cannot tell you how important this is to get legal advice. And ladies or gentlemen, whoever is the lower wage earner in the household listening to this, if your spouse is walking around the house saying, I'm just not going to pay you spousal support. It's just not going to happen. Don't believe in it. Not happening don't argue. There is absolutely no point in arguing because that person is either showing you they haven't gotten legal advice, so they don't have a leg to stand on, or they have gotten legal advice and they don't care. The law is there to change the circumstances. If one person is obstinate, and doesn't want to acknowledge the law and somehow have a conversation. Leave it alone. Once you get legal professionals involved and mediators, everything changes. So it's a waste of time to argue. Dress well for the mediation. Do not think this is a ridiculous point. It's a really, really important point. I have seen more women Well, and men, but it's worse when women come to the mediation completely disheveled. They don't get respect. So women, if you're the ones who are asking for spousal support, come dress dressy casual. I mean, get your hair together, get your uh, clothes together. And if you normally dress in a fairly disheveled way, and that's what makes you feel comfortable, Do something different for the mediation because you will be treated uh, as a result of the way you look and the way you show up. It's that important. Number three, come to compromise while having your bottom line um, secretly available. Don't share your bottom line with anybody. Don't even share your bottom line with the mediator. Share your bottom line with your attorney especially if your attorney's not the mediator. Share your bottom line with your attorney and get your attorney's counsel. That's important. But um, come to compromise. That's what mediation is. It's a compromise. Don't come thinking the mediator is going to see my side. Just like people think the judge is going to see their side when they have to go to a hearing. Don't do it. Wrong way of thinking. Judges go by the law. Mediators don't make decisions for you. Mediators, a good mediator will engage both people in conversation in a way that they can't have the conversation on their own because they just fall down the rabbit's hole of arguing. That's what a mediator will do. But a mediator is not going to render decisions for you. Uh, number four, appreciate your spouse's role in running the family. Do not put your spouse down. Do not think that that is not a viable role. It is. Acknowledge it. That person gave up income earning. That person gave up a career. That person gave up a life outside of the house. It is an important life. Just as important as the one who made money. Especially if that was your deal if that was your deal going into the marriage, going into having children, if that wasn't your deal, if you begged payor, if you begged your spouse to get a job because you weren't able to make ends meet, maybe you both overspent, maybe you're not making enough money now and you begged your uh, spouse to get a job, different story. But if it was okay and it's the way you both decided it to be that one spouse agreed to run the family, the other spouse agreed to make a living. Do not disparage your spouse. And number five, in preparing for the mediation, grieve, Ah, grieve before mediating, because a healed heart will support, no pun intended, a clear mind which is needed to properly negotiate. Okay, so on many of these episodes, I have said, don't even start filing until you've gone through the divorce grieving process. It's a waste of time. You cannot make sound legal decisions with a bleeding heart. You can't. You'll make horrible decisions with a bleeding heart. You have got to get yourself centered stop grieving. So here are the grief stages. Shock, denial, anger. These three come as a little triumvirate. Shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression. So those are the first five. Followed by acceptance, number six, and forgiveness. You have at least got to get through shock, denial, anger, and depression before you start negotiating. If you're not set to negotiate, don't enter a mediation. You're not going to do well at all. You're going to give up the farm or you're going to argue. You're going to waste time and money. Just just grieve get yourself able to have this negotiation because that's what mediation is. It's a negotiation. It's like a business negotiation and you have to be mentally and emotionally prepared to have it. All right, now we're in mediation. It's the negotiation. Recipient spouse, explain why you're asking for support without using the words fair and obligated. Fair is a fighting word and it's subjective. What's fair to you is not fair to the other person. Get rid of fair and stop saying you have to, you're obligated to. That'll just push your spouse farther and farther away. You have to do this. You discuss budget, housing, proximity to the children's school in terms of where you have to live. um, And then dividing children's expenses. So, With spousal support, that will be money that you will pay rent. Well, that will be money that you will pay some of your rent, phone, cable, gas, car note. You may have to supplement and get a job. Because with spousal support and child support, depending on what the payor makes, it just may not be enough to live on. And you're going to have to get a job. But the way to start a discussion with spousal support is to talk about why you need it. That was the very first thing under reasons for spousal support. So that's how you start the negotiation. You talk about why you need it. And it's all about money. It's all about budget. And look at a conservative budget. You know, cut out a few things then. You know, strip down your budget, cut out some social things, cut out some fun things, and just look at the basic needs of life. And that's what you show your the payor spouse. And that's where you start. Because the spouse who was out earning a living, they'll understand budget. That's their language, is money. So speak their language. Speak the language of money. Do not speak the language of law or emotion. Believe me. The payor knows it's their job to pay. They may want to deny it, but they know it's their job. Payor spouse, explain why you want to limit or eliminate spousal support. And it will give the recipient a much better understanding, as well as the attorney, the mediator, anybody else who's a legal professional in your life. It'll give them a window on how you think. And that's where they will start finding and helping you find compromises. So talk about why you don't feel it's appropriate or right. But know at the heart of this that you are driven by the desire to disconnect from your spouse as soon as possible. And spousal support will continue to connect you one-on-one to each other. Know that. And that will help you. Pay your spouse. Never disparage your spouse and the role they played in the marriage. This is about money and being able to afford to live or not live on whatever money they will be making. Do not put them down. Do not do it. If you have a spouse where you really tried to engage them to earn more money because the family just wasn't making it under your salary, you have to talk about this in third person. Don't use second person pronoun you, you, you. That puts people on the defensive and that's, they want to fight and they want to defend themselves and they want to make themselves look better. Don't do that. Try and talk in third person. Something like this. Um, the money that was being made was not enough to cover all of our bills. There were discussions about two incomes coming into the household. And those were important discussions. And it was difficult to move the family forward because we just didn't have enough money. A much better way of having that conversation. Both spouses never give a mental health diagnosis, quote unquote, confidentially. Of your spouse to the mediator. I hate when somebody says to me, I, I just want to tell you a little bit about my spouse. And then they they talk about narcissism, sociopath, bipolar, uh, split personalities. And what are we supposed to do with this information? Don't do that. If there's a mental health diagnosis that a therapist made, you can bring that in. But don't you do that. It only makes you look bad, petty, and backbiting and does nothing to advance the mediation. The mediator does not make decisions for you so that information won't motivate the mediator towards the decision-making that favors the spouse who's divulging it. It makes the divulging spouse look like they're bottom-feeding. Grabbing at straws to influence the mediator, but you can't influence a good mediator. You just can't. And so when somebody says to me, just want to share this with you. I hope this doesn't make you not neutral. Oh, please. You absolutely want me not to be neutral or you wouldn't be saying this. And there's nothing I can do. I'm a mediator. I'm not a therapist. It's about money. That's all it is. I understand there's an emotional backdrop to a financial negotiation. I understand that. It's still about money. Both spouses. Do not argue. Don't negotiate angry. Remember Bill Murray? Don't drive angry. Wasn't that in Groundhog Day? Don't drive angry. Don't mediate angry. Mediation isn't therapy. The more you argue, The more time and money you're wasting because you're forcing your mediator to parent you, to give you both a time out, to separate both of you so that they can get some work done negotiating. I'm helpless. When people start arguing, I'll listen a little bit because I'm trying to see if there's something I can get out of this. And then there's a point I just have to separate them. And when we separate spouses, It takes a lot longer to get through the mediation. And there are things spouses are going to tell us we can't repeat to the other spouse. That's hearsay. Can't do that. And it's way too uncomfortable. No, you have to be in the same room for certain information to be shared. But arguing is pointless for everybody involved. The more you can control your emotions, and you can control your emotions if you've gone through the grieving process, the more you control your emotions, the better negotiation, the better mediation you're going to have. Once both spouses have explained their positions and ideas regarding spousal support, the pay or spouse should initiate the first compromise. It's the payor spouse that has to lead this conversation. So what are your negotiable positions? Well, you have the monthly payment for spousal support. If you're in a state like California, we have a state approved calculator that will get you a starting point number. So you can either use that or you can use something else than what the calculator has run. If you're in a state that doesn't use a state calculator, you really have to look at budgets. You really have to look at once there are two households, what do you both need to live on? And then you negotiate a number from there. Or you can negotiate a lump sum. So after you look at an amount of money per month, That amount of money paying per month, again, ties the two spouses together. And for the recipient spouse, do you really want to wait each month for an amount of money to come through? And I know the payor spouse doesn't want to deal with this for years on a monthly basis. So if you have enough money, negotiate a lump sum, meaning one amount of money, significant, seriously significant, paid at once. Done deal. Nobody has to worry. Or limit the number of years. If you can't do a lump sum and you have to do monthly, limit the number of years. So, how do you know how many years to use uh, or to negotiate? Well, you look at the amount of education or the amount of time it will take for the supported spouse to be self supporting through jobs. That's where that conversation has to go in limiting years. And then number four, maybe look at a community asset or two that can be given to the supported spouse instead of spousal support or <clears throat> if you need to limit the number of years with spousal support. Here's the only problem with that. It's how liquid that community asset is. So if if you're giving your uh, spouse... Uh, all of the net equity in the house. That's not available income to use. That is future money. So that net equity can't be used by the to be supported spouse unless they can get a, um, they can refinance and get cash out or until they sell the house. Now, if it's other assets like bank accounts, Or IRAs. Well, see, there's penalties when you release an IRA. Bank accounts, cool. Um, insurance policies. Well, you can borrow off of some against some insurance policies but you have to look at what the penalty is. So looking at community assets that are not divided that you can give your half to the other spouse are great, but you have to look at how liquid they are, what kind of penalties they have if you're going to use some of that money and what the tax implications of that are to the um, spouse who's going to receive those assets. Those are very big concerns. All right, recipient spouse, your response. Number one, don't require monthly payments to make the supporting, to pay your spouse mad. I had a couple couples over the years um, where a lump sum was offered and it was a very generous lump sum. But the uh, to be supported spouse wanted to uh, make their other spouse squirm and out of anger. Uh, they said, no, I want a monthly payment. You haven't gone through the grieving process yet. You haven't accepted and forgiven. Those are bad choices. Really, you can do so much with a lump sum. You can invest it. You can make money off of it. You can use some of it to live on. Those lump sums are gifts of gold. And please look at them as such. Number two, look at where your negotiable points are. Well, your negotiable points are other assets maybe giving in on um uh, where you where you or your other sp- spouse will live maybe giving in on the co-parenting schedule um maybe giving in on time and and a- other assets so you do have negotiable points Time will be one of your biggest negotiable points. And the amount of money monthly, that's a negotiable point. Uh, Number three, under recipient spouse response. Don't tell the payor that you're doing them a favor with your offer. Keep it a straight negotiation. Don't ever do that. Don't ever say, listen, I'm doing you a favor. I've seen plenty. Let your mediator do that. I've seen plenty of mediations where... Uh, the person who's been cheated on, so the woman, um, is so angry that they can't see that their other spouse is doing them a favor. They can't see it. Yeah. But when you tell your spouse you're doing them a favor, they don't want to hear it. They need to know it because they got legal advice. Just make it a straight negotiation. Um I saw a divorce settlement recently where one spouse was being given a giant gift of no spousal support which would have been a huge amount of money monthly and no division of their business. And they still weren't emotionally ready to to sign the settlement and I was so concerned that the other spouse would take their offers off the table. You need to know just by looking at the settlement that you're being given a gift. Uh, Don't defend your position as the homemaker. The law is the foundation from which the negotiation begins. If your spouse doesn't understand the importance of your role, he or she will when they become a single parent. Do not defend yourself as a homemaker. Here's the way to handle it. We decided at the beginning of the marriage that I would stay at home And you would work. That you would be able to support us and have us live well and educate our children. We entered into a contract. That contract has now changed. That is why I'm, and therefore, I am requesting spousal support because with the change of that contract are the change in circumstances for me. And I am in a very different financial position now. That's the way to negotiate. Just straight. No crying. No guilt. Of course, a little guilt goes a long way, right? Sometimes does. But in this case, be strong. Just be strong and just explain. This is how our marriage contract went. I followed the rules. I became the homemaker. I gave up my job. I am proud of the role that I fulfilled. And now, with our marriage contract changing, mm-hmm. we are now discussing spousal support. Just make it a straight business negotiation. Number five, be realistic about money and employment opportunities. Don't be unrealistic about entering the workforce. This is when you're still grieving. You'll be unrealistic. You'll want to shortchange yourself in terms of the education you need or in terms of the um. Uh, length of time it will take to get you self-sustaining. But do not continue to work part-time at your kid's school and think that's okay. It's not. Everybody has to get busy earning a living if the payor does not make enough money in chi- to uh, in the money in the amount of money that they will pay for child and spousal support if they're not if they make five figures no you're going to have to get a full-time job so you have to be realistic and a lot of women will just throw up their hands it's so odious to them to have to negotiate this i don't care just give me what you want i just need this over with cuz they're seriously in pain but this is when you haven't grieved enough When you've grieved enough, you will move out of that pain center into a position of being able to negotiate. And that's where you need to be. And six, don't get angry. Don't pout. Don't cave just to end the negotiations. Yeah, don't do that. That's what I just explained. Not worth it. You need money. Be realistic about your budget. You need money. Don't inflate your budget, but be realistic about what you need. Let's go to child support. There's a monthly amount versus miscellaneous expenses. Look at the rules of your state. All states are different slightly. California, monthly child support pays for food, shelter, and clothing. That's it. All the other expenses have to be divided equally between both parents. Go to an attorney, learn the law, go on Google, go to Google Law School. Number two, the big wrinkle in child support is the time spent with the children by each parent. The time spent with each parent influences the monthly amount of child support if your state uses a calculator, a state-approved calculator. That's an issue. There will be a parent that will want more time when they can't even be with the kids. They will use the money for child support as their big focus instead of the quality of time spent with their children. That is how you have to look at the co-parenting schedule and child support just has to follow. You need to have quality time with your children. You can't just have 50-50 and then have other people raise your children. And that happens all too often. The grandparents will have the children, depending on your culture, and if you all live on the same street, because many cultures try and live in the same neighborhood, which is great. It's fun, right? But then other family members end up raising your kids. Your kids need you. They don't need all the other family members. They need you once you're getting divorced. Negotiable issues. The co-parenting schedule is huge. It's the biggest issue. You have the children's schedule first, followed by the parent's schedule. That's how you have to look at the co-parenting schedule. That's the foundation from which everything else is built. Look at when the kids get up, when they have to be in school. Do lunches have to be packed? When do they have to be picked up from school? Homework. After-school activities, weekend activities, all of these things have to be put on a calendar first, and then you look at the parents' schedules and see how each parent can support and accommodate the kids' schedules. It's the only way to devise a healthy co-parenting schedule that puts the welfare of the children first. You are ruining your children's lives if you do it any other way. Then you have overnight visits connected to the uh, co-parenting schedule. Some parents, at least in the first year or two in the reorganization stage, can't afford a place where the kids can spend overnights. Don't penalize that parent. They're doing the best they can. So if you're amenable, parent who can have the kids overnight, count the days that the other parent picks the kids up from school, takes them to their activities, does a lot with them on the weekends, count them as overnights and do a step-up plan that at a certain point in time, the kids will be spending overnights. People do the best they can. So give the other parent credit if they're reorganizing and don't penalize them in the co-parenting schedule. Well, then there are the parent-child relationships that have problems. Well, at the time of divorce, you know, sometimes one child isn't getting along with the other parent very well. This has to be taken into consideration. Sometimes when you have multiple children, one child doesn't want to be at the other parent's house. Maybe there are mental health issues. Um, Maybe there's gender expression issues and the other parent isn't accepting of that. Now you have two different co-parenting schedules. And that really has to be fleshed out in the mediation. Then we have substance abuse issues. You can't wipe them under the carpet. They have to come out. They have to be discussed. If you're the parent that has them, admit it. Admit it. Get help. All kinds of programs to go to. And parent who isn't substance abuse challenged, if you don't bring this up in the mediation, if you let your kids go to the other parent's house where they have substance abuse issues and something happens to the kids, you're both responsible please get legal advice i will say no more on this issue but it's so scary oh let me go one uh, one aspect further sexual perversion issues oh yes if you suspect or know that while you were all in the same house there was inappropriate Touching or handling one parent to a child, you better get legal advice on this. You cannot not address this in the co-parenting schedule. I've gotten calls by parents who didn't feel comfortable bringing it up during the divorce process, and now their child is showing signs of being abused when they're alone with their other parent. This is really scary and really serious and you have to bring it up. And then there's breastfeeding. This is a really tough subject. So if mom is breastfeeding and you're getting divorced and we have an infant, not a three-year-old, breastfeeding goes on forever. Oh my God. When I found out that three to five-year-old kids were being breastfed, I I just wasn't used to it. I'm sorry. And I started asking other parents, is this normal now in the world of child raising? And it, it it has changed the age of the child, but I'm talking about an infant now. When you have an infant that's breastfeeding, a lot of judges will say, pump more milk. This is not a reason for the child to be with you completely. I, I I don't even know where I am on it, so I'm not even going to talk about me I, and and I don't matter. What matters is where the law is in your state and where the conversation sits in the mediation. So <clears throat> if you're the other spouse, you're not breastfeeding, but yet you're scared that you won't have more co-parenting time once the breastfeeding is over, put it into the settlement agreement, make it part of the mediation, that there's a step-up plan, that once the breastfeeding is over, overnight visits will start. That's a good way of doing it. So you're honoring mom and breastfeeding. And then mom, you have to honor dad and do a step-up plan. Because when there are involved dads, when there are dads who desperately love their children, they don't want to be without their children. They, they want to be attached. You know, men sometimes are more nurturing than women. Lest you think that doesn't happen, it does. I had a man here years ago. He was willing to take cooking classes with his soon-to-be ex-wife. He was willing to have her come over and organize his place the way she would like to see it so that he could support overnight visits with his child. Oh, yes, there are men who will go to those legs. You have a good guy on your hands. However you're mad at them, whatever the issues are in the divorce, if you have a a husband that's willing to make this level of change and have you involved in directing it, you have have a good parent on your hands and good for you that you do because as much as you may want to uh, not give up parenting time, believe me, you're going to need a break. Once you see that you're with your child all the time, you're going to need a break. Um, then there's living accommodations for the children at each parent's house. Well, sometimes at the beginning, the payor can't afford to have two bedrooms three bedrooms. They just can't afford it. So they'll have to make a one bedroom work or they're at their parent's house temporarily and can't have the kids overnight. Be sensitive to that other parent. They're doing the best they can, you know, and again, do a step-up plan. Do Negotiate a step-up plan so that when they're out of their parent's house and have the ability to have the children over to their house, then let them write that in. And the avail- the availability of both parents on parenting time. If you can't be with your child in the evenings when you have your child, you shouldn't have your child. <clears throat> Bad negotiation. And that's just for money. Your children need you, especially in a divorce. They need to know you love them. And the way they know you love them is by spending time with them. If you don't spend time with them, that is a sign you don't love them. And you're shoving them off on other family members or the girlfriend or the boyfriend. Please reconsider that. Your children want you and need you. Um, let's see. Working together regarding the miscellaneous expenses to include school, summer camp, tutoring, social and athletic activities, medical treatment and therapy. You need a good co-parenting relationship because this is an ongoing discussion you're going to have with your spouse. Do that in mediation. Use mediation to create a healthy co-parenting relationship. The way you mediate, the way you negotiate will start establishing the co-parenting relationship. And you're in it until your kids have graduated from college. So you need to take advantage of this opportunity to change whatever the ills in your relationship are and make them a really good co-parenting relationship. Uh, The way child support and the co-parenting schedule is negotiated, it's important because it sets the tone going forward. Um, allow sufficient time to discuss expenses before it's time to pay. So part of the negotiation um, for child support is putting a, a bank account together, a joint account, so you both put money in it. So there's always money there to pay for the children's expenses, but the time that you need uh, so that both parents can sign off on expenses without being forced and manipulated is so very important. So really negotiate the amount of time you both feel is right to discuss expenses in advance so that things can get paid properly and on time, and so that neither parent feels like they're being manipulated by the other parent. Using a mediator, a divorce coach, a therapist, or a special master to be a third party who will help parents come to compromise is extremely important. And it's more and more important, in my opinion, going forward to put that in your settlement agreement that you will have either monthly or every other monthly meetings with people like this, professionals like this, to stay on track with your co-parenting relationship. It's that important for the kid's health and well being. How to negotiate spousals uh child support. Don't disparage the other spouse. Always. Makes perfect sense. Be respectful to one another. Don't punish the other spouse by proposing restrictive schedules if the other parent has been a dialed in parent. Don't eliminate the other parents' co-parenting time because of the reason for the divorce, uh, their relationship with the children is a lot different than your relationship with each other. Make sure the kids have great and healthy relationships with both parents. Make the discussion child-focused. Think of what it will be like for your child, for instance, to move between houses. So if you want to make the mediation for child support Which includes the co-parenting schedule, child focused. You have to be really dialed in to what your children need. So your children need both parents. If both parents have been uh, participatory parents, don't interrupt that in your child, in your children's relationships with, with both of you. Support that. Um. Child focused in terms of medical treatment, child focused in terms of diet, child focused in terms of when they go to bed, how long they have for TV time, for computer time. These are all things that are really important to negotiate in the mediation. Um, I know I said this is about child support the child support and the co-parenting schedule go hand in hand so it it everything has to be child focused dietary issues are are so very important because they support the health of your child the way medical treatment is provided people are on you know different sides of the fence and when covid happened these um uh the covid shots The vaccines—they became a big dividing point with people. This is really tough. So you have to go back to, um, a, what's the legality in your state? What's what is allowed in the school system? You know, there are other uh, other entities that come into this discussion. Um, But this is really serious. That you both have. An open mind with each other, listening to each other, and really looking at where each other is coming from. Because if you're both coming from the health and welfare of the child, see where your compromise points are, and hopefully your mediator will help you reach those and come to the mediation to compromise. Otherwise, schedule a hearing to have a judge make decisions for you. You have to come to the mediation to compromise. That's what it is. Mediation is a discussion, a negotiation, and there's compromise. So compromise can be an exchange. All right, you get this, I get that. But we're talking about child support and the co-parenting schedule. It really has to be, the compromises still have to be child-centered. What's best for the children? Speak respectfully to your spouse. Lower your tone of voice. Don't stress out. Let your mediator do their job to balance the conversation. Yes, the way you speak to each other makes such a difference. The words you choose, the tone of voice you use, I cannot tell you how important that is. If you could just focus on the way you present yourself, not what your spouse deserves, the way you present yourself in a mediation, makes such a difference in the outcome. So I go back to the way you dress, the way you present yourself. Are you late or on time? Have you given the mediator and your other spouse the respect by being there on time, being there a little early? Always important. But the way you communicate with each other is critical in how the negotiation, and the conversation works out. And lastly, don't let yourself be controlled or bullied. So the way the relationship took place in the marriage is the way the mediation will start. And then hopefully the mediator can even it out, can see where there's the imbalance, the power struggle. But if you have been the one who has allowed yourself, and I mean allowed yourself, nobody can take advantage of you. You have to allow it to happen. No, I'm not blaming you. (laughs) By the way, there is no blame here. So if you've been the one who's Caved that just to get rid of the argument has given your spouse their way. It's not the way it is now. Now that you're getting divorced, you are on equal footing. And when you have professionals involved, change your behavior. There have been too many people that I've seen cave, literally cave, have let their spouse walk away with unbelievable assets that were community property because that's what they were used to doing, caving, that let their spouse get away with not paying this, not paying that, it's just not worth it. Use the people that you're paying properly. Let them do the work. Let them say, well, wait a minute, this is a negotiation here. I'd like to hear from both of you. Let your mediator open the door that's never been opened for you. And that's the the door of equality, the door of your opinion matters. Let that happen for you. Don't fall, don't stick with your own ways of, well, that's just the way it's always been. He or she, you know, when they say this is what they want, then that's the way it goes. Well, that's the way it goes because you let it go that way in the marriage. There was no special master who came in to roll tape. Let's look at this situation and uh, let's talk about, no, there was nobody like that in the marriage, but there are people now in the divorce. So what you have to do is transition out of the old you into the new you. And the new you is, this is a business negotiation. And so the new you is maybe a little bit more of a divorce business person. So use the help of the, prof- of the professionals that you've hired and they will help you negotiate a settlement that is more fair and balanced, especially in the way, in the field of child support and spousal support. All right. That's it for this episode. I hope you've gotten some good points out of it. Share this with anybody you know, uh, having to deal with spousal support and child support. Subscribe if you haven't. Let me know if there's anything you would like me to add on to this conversation by going through my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. You can email me through the episode page. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.